Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and today is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. And we're going to be taking a look at three questions we've been hearing from international educators this past week. And some of the themes that we're talking about today uh, are common ones that we've seen over the last few months that have been building, but some of them also are very timely and sensitive uh, questions that we need to ask ourselves as colleges and universities and how we respond to the questions we're asking today. So uh, before we get to those questions, want to say obviously thank you to those that are joining live on Facebook every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's a pleasure to have your uh, participation in these live chats. Obviously makes for a robust conversation and obviously very keen to uh, get your feedback on these issues. Also those watching on repeat either on our YouTube channel for SMIE Consulting or watching on repeat on our Facebook page. And a special shout out to those who download us each week and make uh, our podcast version of the Roundup uh, part of their listening habits each week. So without further ado, let's get to the questions. And for those that are new to the Roundup, we do take all of the themes and questions we ask from the news stories we capture each week and publish in our newsletter that comes out on Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern each week. And that comes out, but it will not be coming out next week uh, due to vacation that's happening uh, for our family. Uh, so we'll be taking a pause on a, on a full depth uh, uh, midweek roundup next Wednesday as well uh, as a result of the vacation, but we're looking forward to be being back with you uh, on the week of the 21st. So until then, uh, we're going to cover these three topics today uh, that are all brought from our newsletter. I'm dropping the link to the most recent edition of the SMIE Consulting e-newsletter in the comments section on the Facebook page. But if you'd like to go get an archive of all the uh, past editions as well as to subscribe to it, you can go to smieconsulting.org slash subscribe and you can uh, ent uh, enter your email address and some other relevant details to get on that subscription list. So let's get right to the questions. First up, are international students keeping their options open? Uh, we all know what a crazy last couple of years we've had in university admissions and for students around the world that have uh, had dr their dreams kind of put on hold or uh, maybe started their dream uh, study degree online uh, are keeping have learned some lessons uh, frankly in the last year uh, then there's an, uh, a nice university news world news piece called international students are they hedging their op country options so I'm not just talking about hedging their op keeping their options open in terms of which university to go to in a particular country it's are they keeping their country options open frankly uh, and this is something that I, I talk about a lot in my series on the six P's of strategic international enrollment management, and it's actually the first P perspective. I've talked about this in the past, but it, it has a particular relevance and when we look at our, our, an article like this, where the questions are really asked is, uh, where should a student, international student that wants to study outside their home country go? If uh, It's a very uncertain dynamic out there in terms of uh, which countries are open, what are the re regulations, health regulations that they need to fulfill to get into those countries. Uh, there's still a lot of unknowns that, as to what's going to happen between now and for us in the western hem north northern hemisphere, the fall season where most of our students start each year. Uh, there's uh, uncertainty as to uh, what policies will be in place by then. 
some institutions have already implemented uh, vaccination policies, and we'll talk about that in our next uh, next question. But I uh, really want to focus on the wh why it's important for universities uh, in your messaging to students to, to, to come at it with exactly this question in mind, realizing that students over the last couple of years have become uh, a little bit more nervous about where they're up, where they're going to go because of border closures, because of travel restrictions, because of, uh, frankly, quality of life issues that might be uh, impacting their decision. Uh, so there are very real issues that they're confronting. And so students may have top choices uh, that they're deciding between in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, perhaps, that they are maybe uh, are waiting till the last minute to make the decision as to where they're going to go because there's, frankly, too much uncertainty. And many of them who might have deferred their admission for the last year are getting to the point where, okay, it's time to, to really uh, commit because they either decided, okay, I'm going to just do service projects this past year because I, I wasn't able to go to the, the country I wanted to to start my studies, didn't want to start it online. There's a number of, of students that are in that, in that situation. We already heard in the U.S. 40,000 perhaps undergraduates that uh, had deferred enrollment, uh, international undergrads from last fall. Uh, 2020 to this fall. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if they end up uh, being able to come and make it to the U.S. Uh, in time. But you also have students that uh, have gone through the process, maybe had their classmates last year that were looking to go abroad, have their study dreams changed dramatically. Uh, many, if, the, if they were looking at Australia and New Zealand, uh, if they still want to go there, they, they, were, they had to start their programs completely online. Uh, and that is um, that is still being the case for this current academic year that uh, started in February, March for Australia and New Zealand. Students in China who uh, who wanted to wanted international students who were looking to go to China to to start degrees or to return to China to continue degrees had were forced to either do it online or or withdraw from the institution. They, they most greater majority of them have not been able to return either. So. The, the, the article really t focuses on uh, what, uh, what students have really, uh, really uh, been dealing with in terms of their, their decision-making process. And it's a kind of a wait-and-see approach, as the article points out, to whether they will be able to study abroad or not. And they're really learning the lessons of the past year. Uh, that, uh, the, 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 the kind of a quote that sums this up best is uh, this one here in the middle of the article. While countries such as New Zealand and Australia were seen as handling the health emergency well last year, there's a growing acceptance that border closures and visa and travel restrictions mean students will probably have to study elsewhere if they want face-to-face -face teaching and an in-person campus experience instead of yet more online learning. And I think that's really the important lesson that uh, we're all taking away from this is that the whole purpose of students wanting to study outside their country is not for taking all their classes online. No student goes into that thought of studying outside their home country with that in mind. And there's a very small percentage that are happy with doing a full degree online and never actually physically getting to the college campus where they wanted to do their degree uh, or even going down the road of uh, doing a full degree online uh, with an overseas institution. There's there's value in the degree, but the, the experience, and my colleagues in the U.S., uh, we talk about this uh, till we're blue in the face about how important it is for international students 
uh, all students really who come to our campuses to be engaged on campus, to experience the campus community, to learn from others in person, to develop friendships with students from all over the world, to really live that experience on campus, in the classroom, and frankly, outside the classroom as well during their, their undergraduate experience or their whatever degree they're pursuing. So that is what I think drives students. And those that want, and survey after survey shows that's International students are willing to make certain sacrifices or take certain comp make certain compromises to study face to face. Some have already gone through extreme measures to. Uh, we've heard of students in China where U.S. consulates up until recently where U.S. consulates were closed were going to third countries to apply for visas, uh, student visas that were open to be able to come to the U.S. For, to continue or begin their studies. Uh, though that's a practical reality that not everybody can pursue, uh, and that is something that I think uh, in the U.S. we have to be aware of what uh, the situation is out on the ground. And we know um, uh, from the NAFSA conference last week, a particular session where State Department reps were involved, made the, made the comment that, hey, even though things might be getting better here in the United States, the situation is actually getting worse in some countries around the world. And as a result of that, access to uh, U.S. consulates and embassies has been restricted, and they're still not fully open in all countries. In India, the second largest sending country to the U.S., uh, they've been forced to close as a result of uh, the uh, incredible second uh, wave of uh, COVID-19 cases there, and some real tra tragic stories happening. Uh, and that reality on the ground in many other countries, and we, we take it for granted here in the U.S. because we're on the back end of it. We're, we're getting more vaccinations out there every day, more vaccinations than we have people to take them right now. We're going to be exporting millions of, uh, and millions of vaccines uh, to, to other countries through different systems. Uh, so there's a real sense of uh, perspective that we need to have in the U.S. that it, the rest of the world isn't at, at our level right now in terms of uh, where, where they're dealing with COVID. And as a result, that will impact uh, where students might be able to, uh, are, are going to be able to come from uh, this fall. So the reality is January 2022, fall 2022 are the most, the best chances for a return to a, a new normal or a pre-pandemic normal in terms of uh, student flows and re a regular uh, process of uh, that happening. So we're not there yet, and it may be some time that we are until we are. So I think it's uh, it's fair to say that yes, international students are keeping their options open, and a part of that perspective I'm talking about here is also how well you're communicating to your prospective students, your admitted students at this point so that might potentially be coming in the fall about your policies. And this is something I'm doing with my university clients right now: is hey, uh, are, how, how are you communicating these these very important messages out to your uh, admitted students that are looking to come this fall? How are you reassuring them? of what's going to be happening on campus. Has that even gone out yet? It's some, a special message to your admitted students. And are you doing that in multiple ways, getting that message out in multiple ways beyond just a standard email? Uh, is that, if that's all you're doing, even if you, if you are for, for, for having the foresight to get this kind of a message out at this point, to give your admitted students the reassurance they need to make an informed decision and one that rec recognizes that the institution that they're choosing 
has demonstrated that they care for them, demonstrated that they want them, and understands their concerns, their needs, their fears. And that is a message that if you're just doing it in an email, that's great, but make sure you can you repurpose that. Have a message from your director of international student scholar services, maybe even the president of your university, talking about how important student health and safety is to them and what your institution is doing to make that happen, whether it's you're going to be able to vac get vaccinated once you arrive if you haven't been vaccinated already, what, that you're going to accept any vaccination you've gotten in your home country, even if it's not on the U.S. approved list. You're going to be able to get that, that you won't have to quarantine when you arrive, that that unless, unless that's part of your institution's policy, but being clear about what those steps are, because that tells a student that you get it, you understand their needs. So I hope that makes sense to, in terms of, of what we're talking about here, in terms of perspective that the students are keeping their options open. You need to be aware of that. And the perspective that you need to understand because of that, you need to be communicating more effectively with them at this point about their concerns, their issues, their needs, their fears. And if you're doing that well, and you're doing that on multiple levels, this is a chance that you can really bring in your class that you're expecting to this fall as a result of, uh, of your listening skills, uh, that you're aware of that these are the issues and concerns that they have out there, that you're getting in front of it, that you're being proactive, that you are taking the lead as an institution and making sure your perspective, your future students feel comfortable about making a decision to attend your institution. So are, are you doing that? If you are, good for you. I hope that that trend continues. And this can be explored in many different levels of your relationship with your students and how you're communicating your messaging. So let's move on to question number two. And that is, are vaccine policies making a difference for students? Now, this comes up on a lot of different levels, and we're going to focus uh, part of our, our, our answer to this question on what's happening in India, because uh, I think it's fairly unique and one that deserves a bit of, con a bit of um, a bit of analysis in terms of what that means for the United States. But I also want to uh, back, back up a little bit and talk about uh, the bigger picture of students, international students, admitted students, uh, prospective students' views on vaccine passports, perhaps. And that's one potential future uh, version of international travel that may exist out there. Some countries may adopt it, some countries won't. Uh, the U.S., uh, several states have uh, actually passed laws to prohibit requiring a vaccination passport requirement for access to certain services uh, or government services. Uh, that may be countered at the federal level. So we're not sure where that's going in the United States, but um, that's something that uh, in a recent survey, QS survey, uh, that the international students were asked, how do, you, how do you feel about a vaccine passport, having to use that, and, what's, uh, and the university vaccine requirements? So what, what the results reflected, I think, is what we're, we were talking about last time, our students keeping their, in the last question, what's our students keeping their options open? They're looking to find out what those requirements are going to be. And that's, an, again, another reason to be up front and, and above board with that. Like, for example, the UK, Canada, uh, any, and any students that might be getting in on these uh, kind of uh, trial versions of uh, reopening borders in Australia and New Zealand are going to face uh, mandatory quarantine periods uh, of varying lengths, uh, up to two weeks, that they'll have to most likely have to pay for themselves. The U.S. does not have 
at present a quarantine requirement for visitors coming to the United States. Uh, there's a requirement that is required right now that students, uh, anyone traveling to the U.S. has a negative COVID test th uh, at least three days before, uh, no later than three days before they travel and has one after they arrive. Uh, that is the only requirement right now that the U.S. has related to vaccines. Uh, and it's not even a vaccine requirement. So the, this question from QS reports is really geared towards kind of what may develop on campus in particular. And I think this is something we, want, we do want to make, make sure we pay attention to. Uh, this, this report said that 74% of respondents would consider getting a vaccine passport after they've received the vaccine, just to have it uh, in case they need it. Uh, conversely, 25% uh, of respondents were unsure about implementing such a measure uh, related to a vaccine, uh, if their institution required a vaccine passport before they could travel to the destinations. Uh, and uh, uh, we're unsure about that. 24% were against the proposal of if, they're, if they would need a vaccine passport before they can travel to their destination. 51% uh, of prospective international students are open to their chosen institution requiring a vaccine passport. So that's a fairly divisive issue there. So, and I think in the U.S., this is going to be, uh, I, I don't think uh, that a vaccine passport uh, per se is going to be a requirement. Uh, what will be uh, interesting in how institutions uh, implement this is, uh, I, I understand completely why 49% are either unsure or against the proposal of requiring a vaccine passport to attend an institution in the U.S. Uh, because, or in their travel destination country, because frankly, they might not be able to get a vaccination for months in their home country. And that might mean another year of waiting or another year of online classes in case they had already started that or if they were looking to uh, begin in-person uh, classes right away. So vaccine policies will make a difference for those that are vaccinated versus or have access to vaccines in their country versus those that will not. Uh, and institutional policies on this, uh, have or we've already seen there's almost uh, over coming up on 500 colleges now that are going to require vaccinations uh, of students. There are many different levels of requirements. Uh, if that's going to be, uh, if that is very few, I think are saying you have to have it before you can start studies. Uh, or because what will likely happen in those cases, uh, if that's the case, uh, before you could start in-person studies is more likely going to be the caveat that's attached to that. I'm assuming for colleges that uh, would require vaccinations. Uh, you're also going to have those students that simply haven't been able to get a vaccination before they leave their home countries, that when they get to the U.S., well, if that's a requirement at your college, you need to be if that's going to be something they need to know before they leave home, you better be sure you're telling them now. Because you know what, what the, the, the ones that we have in the U.S., aside from Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, and Moderna, you're taking those two, Pfizer or Moderna, uh, you have a, a three-week gap a minimum between uh, the Pfizer shots that you have to wait after you, got your, after you get your first to, before you can take your second, and then two weeks after that before you're considered fully immunized. So we're talking a minimum five, uh, well, let's see, five, uh, five weeks if you were getting a vaccination today in the U.S. with Pfizer, a minimum of five weeks before you be fully vaccinated, considered fully vaccinated, uh, six weeks uh, if you're getting the Moderna. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, one shot, but perhaps less, um, 
less uh, pr pr uh, protective in the long run than the Pfizer Moderna double shots. So we'll see what that means uh, for for students overseas that are not able to uh, to get a vaccine before they come, and if that's going to be a requirement at your college. What, what, what are the steps going to be for them? Uh, will they have to quarantine or will they have to do their degrees or begin their degree studies online until they've had the vaccine and had uh, the, the, the mandatory period of time necessary to become fully vaccinated? And does that mean that while, during that time they can't have full access to the campus or they have to, they have to full, wear masks all the time? Because there's a lot of caveats to how these rules are going to be implemented that I don't know um, how well thought out institution policies have been on this front. So there's also been the question of, can you require vaccination that's only approved for emergency purposes only? And right now, all of the three vaccines approved in the U.S. are emergency use only. There's, I think Moderna has applied for um, for the uh, full regular use uh, for their vaccine, but uh, that takes time for the FDA to approve. Uh, the other versions that are out there, here's the other question that we talked about before, uh, is what if a student is able to get a vaccination in their home country, but it's not one of the three US, U.S. versions that are approved? Does your campus policy have flexibility enough to allow, say, if it's on the WHO list, uh, if it's one of those approved, then they'll be, uh, they'll be able to start their studies. Uh, is it... Um, is it if, it if it's not on the WHO list, what if it's one of the countries that have their own versions of the vaccine, vaccine that aren't on a WHO or a FDA list? Uh, there's a number of those out there. There's only eight on the WHO list right now. Three, in the, three of those are also approved in the U.S. Uh, there's one of the two China vaccines. Sinopharm is on it. Sinovac is waiting for approval. Uh, there are others that are out there. Sputnik, the Russian version, isn't on the WHO list. So what, are, what is your campus doing with those? If you have a WHO policy threshold for vaccines, what is your campus doing uh, to, um, to accommodate international students? I mean, what I think the enlightened colleges and ones that are certainly thinking about this in practical terms, where a student isn't able to get a vaccine in their home country, uh, allow them access to it once they get to campus and have clinics perhaps. Uh, some colleges are doing that, uh, certainly forward-thinking ones are doing that and arranging that. May have already been doing that in over the course of the, of the spring semester on campus, having those clinics and uh, making vaccines available for faculty and staff and, and students. Uh, that kind of thing is would, would make a lot of sense for your new students, particularly if they haven't had the shots yet, uh, if you're going to require them on campus. Uh, it's the challenges in the U.S. These vaccination debates are obviously getting highly politicized, and it's uh, causing some uh, challenges in some states, like we talked about in, with Indiana. The state prohibited uh, institutions from public institutions from requiring uh, a vaccination. Uh, documentation of a vaccination before a student could start studies, uh, but the institutions could still require that students be vaccinated, but just not require documentation. So there's uh, some interesting uh, loopholes out there that uh, institutions are going to have to 
have to navigate and uh, set up to allow uh, their policies to be fully implemented or end up changing their policies. So this is something that's really interesting. But on the back side of this, I, I, I do want to share a couple of articles from uh, uh, three articles from India that uh, relate to the Indian demographic. And that's important because uh, India's vaccination rates are still fairly low, under 10%, I think. Uh, but what, we, what we're seeing is uh, Indian students certainly are very keen to study abroad uh, uh, in 2021 uh, because they haven't been able to go in the numbers that they normally did do, or do every year. Uh, and other markets in Australia have, have certainly been reduced. New Zealand have been reduced to them. Canada has been reduced to them uh, because of travel restrictions, because of uh, border closures, all of that. Uh, but one of the reasons in a knowledge review um, article that fe features the results of a survey performed by Leverage EDU, a global consultancy platform, 94% uh, of Indian students want to study abroad, more 94% more Indian students want to study abroad this year than the previous year. And one of the most, interestingly, one of the most common reasons given by students for wanting to study abroad is the availability of better health care. And they consider the UK, US, and Canada have superior early access to vaccines, healthcare facilities, and air quality. So that's what's driving Indians, some Indian students to study abroad healthcare. And that's, you nor normally wouldn't probably see that as the major driver. Uh, what you're also seeing in India, and this I haven't seen for many other countries yet, there's a couple of articles I'll be posting the links to, one from the Hindu and one from Business Standard. Uh, that talk about in India what that uh, people going abroad to to uh, are going Indians who are looking to go abroad, uh, including for study and jobs, are going to be given priority access to one of the Indian uh, vaccine vaccines, Covishield, uh, and that's interesting. Uh, this Covishield, it's not on the WHO list either, so it's an interesting one that they're going to get priority. Uh, for uh, access to this uh, at an inner dose interval of four to six weeks. So they have a longer gap between uh, doses, uh, four to six weeks uh, for the COVID shield vaccine. So that is, and it's, and the, the, the regulation is, or the, uh, the, the article says that students and individuals who are going abroad for higher, higher studies or jobs and for whom COVID-19 vaccination certificate is required will be given COVID shield. Uh, but the challenge is if it's, if it's required that they be vaccin vaccinated, but the challenge is if the vaccine that they're getting isn't one that is actually going to be acceptable. That's, an, that's a whole other level of questions that we talked about earlier that uh, is certainly something that, uh, interestingly, that the government in India is saying that this is now a priority, that if you're going abroad for studies or work, uh, and it's required that you have a vaccine, you'll get one uh, from, uh, you have priority access to these vaccines. So interesting to see that. And I think students are, are certainly, based on admission letters, will we'll have priority access to that. Uh, that uh, if those admission letters uh, require vaccinations, then, then certainly that's gonna be interesting. Uh, to, inter interesting to see. Uh, so, uh, and it does make, make the point that it, it makes, and it's not entirely true, since, and it says, since COVID vaccination is gonna be a key condition for travel and stay in countries like the United States, Canada, Australia, and Europe, 
Uh, we can say, obviously, in the U.S., that's not yet a requirement and certainly not a travel requirement to be here. It may be for individual colleges that they go to, but certainly not for the travel piece right now. So we'll see where that goes in the future. But uh, I wanted to make sure we covered that today as, as just explaining how, how important uh, vaccinations are going to be in terms of your institution's policy and where you are moving forward. And the final, uh, final question of the day. How is your college handling the cancellation of national exams? Uh, this exams have obviously taken huge hits. Uh, these uh, standardized tests that uh, we talk about, SAT and ACT tests that have been canceled, TOEFL IELTS tests that have been canceled. Uh, but one of the things that for institutions of higher, higher learning uh, or higher education that is essential or has been essential bedrock for many institutions in making decisions or confirming admissions decisions that have been made are the receipt of final uh, national exam results. Uh, most countries around the world have some version of this, whether it's A-levels in England, whether it's uh, Abitur in Germany, whether it's French BAC, uh, whether it's um, the IB exams, which are worldwide as well, uh, that uh, have been canceled in many countries. Uh, you also have these national exams in India, Pakistan, Nepal. Uh, that have been canceled in India and Nepal for, cert for certain have been canceled already for the second year in a row. These national exams that in the past are what students use to get in to certain universities. Certainly over the summer period, these national exams that are taken in June uh, are uh, when, when those results become available for British uni university entrance requirements, the clearing process that happens over the summer for entry into British universities, uh, that is thrown up in the year now. Uh, these exams have been, because, and they're being canceled because of the second, third, fourth wave of COVID-19 cases that are hitting uh, the, the South Asian uh, region. And you see uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, you saw the hashtag cancel all exams was trending uh, on thir at the end of uh, May and that continued into June that um, the exams were uh, initially were postponed uh, from uh, June to July and August uh, in, in, in India. But then last week we saw the, the, the word come down that those national exams have been canceled, the CBSEs. So this is a real challenge for institutions. And we saw and posted about it in our newsletter last week, University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, Urbana-Champaign, uh, made the decision before the cancellations happened that they would need uh, the final results by August 1st in order for those students to start studies uh, at the end of August at, uh, at Champaign-Urbana. So uh, for those students, that's obviously, uh, this is at a time when the exam dates had just been moved to July and August, and so they wouldn't have those final results uh, to, uh, to get to the uh, University of Illinois by uh, August 1st. And as a result, uh, I'm sure the institution would make, will now make exceptions, but the, the message that they sent out was fairly tone deaf in that, re in that respect in terms of not understanding, hey, these students don't have any, any, cha any choice in the matter. It's not like they didn't want to take their exams. They couldn't. They were delayed, and now they've been canceled. So what is your institution policy going to be on that? 
Uh, I mean, for us in the U in the U.S., we always talk in admission circles about the importance of not not necessarily just the tests that they're one piece of a puzzle, all of that. But we talk about the importance of your academic performance all the way through secondary school and the great mark sheets that students get every year. Um, but the challenge is there isn't the real priority placed on those mark sheets on the year-to-year -year grades in many of the countries that we want to recruit in. So as a result, we've had to wait and and weigh more heavily these final exams. Some countries it's, it's very difficult to get those mark sheets, but you need them to make an informed decision. But now without those um, Without those end-of-year exams, those standard 12s, those CBSE exams, what are you doing in countries like India, China, or India, Pakistan, uh, Nepal that have canceled their, their national exams? We saw the Gaokao canceled last year. I think they were, have been able to do it this year or are planning to do it this month uh, for Chinese students. So what, what are you doing? How flexible is your uh, institutional policy on this respect? If you've already admitted a student for the fall and normally you'd need them to present their uh, exam results in order to begin studies formally uh, with you, but maybe they're never going to be able to take those exams now. Uh, so what's what's that policy going to be for you, for your institution? So I think it's worth uh, worth talking about and again messaging out to your prospective students. Hey, we understand there's some issues you know, with uh, your exams. Here's what we're planning to do at our institution. So get that message out now. Be, be upfront about it. Uh, hey, we're looking into the issue. Uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we have a response, even if you don't have one right now. Keep the lines of communication open because it matters. These students fear the unknown, and when you when you're silent on matters, they they expect they're expecting the worst. So you really need to get out front of these issues. And this is a perfect two examples today of why you want to be uh, over communicating uh, these important details that are outside your normal communication flow. Uh, and this is something that you need to be flexible about in terms of how you adapt. So certainly something I'm talking about with my clients on uh, that I'm, I'm regularly working with and, and on how important these kinds of messages are. So that's what we have for you this week on the Roundup. We appreciate you being a part of the community, and we look forward to chatting with you in the coming weeks and months. And again, just a reminder, no, round, no formal Roundup next, um, next Wednesday on the 16th due to vacation and no uh, newsletter coming out either. So we will be back with you on uh, the 23rd for our next formal midweek Roundup and hopefully uh, be uh, also putting out the newsletter that week as well. So until next time, have a great week. Cheers.